when you start helping uh, sellers that thought they were stuck and buyers that thought they would never own a home, you actually are, are making a generational decision. Like yeah. families will generationally be affected. That's not like one deal. That's really important. So they go, yes, you can do it this way. And it goes through the generations. That's really cool. I love that. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, Julie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Annie. How about yourself? Oh, not bad. It's a little cloudy here in Oakland today, but overall, um, still still a good day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's cloudy over here too, but um, we sometimes the fog will burn, burn off after the morning, then we'll get some sun and we'll go for our walk. How are you guys staying uh, active in the midst of everything that's going on? Well, you know, that's a good question. My, my kids are homebodies, so they love being home. So it's like, let's go for a bike ride. They're like, no, I don't want to do that. It's like, let's go to the park. No, I don't want. let's go for a walk. No. So it's like, uh, it's like pulling teeth to get them outside of the house. But of course, you know, when once you get them outside of the house, then you're like, let's go back inside. They're like, no, I don't want to go in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've been trying to help my kids. Same thing with my kids too. And um, when, when they go out, what I've been trying to help them with is try to take a moment and think about how they feel when they come back. Because for me, I know when I go out and I exercise, oh my gosh, I feel so happy. I feel, um, you know, like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I just feel like I'm ready to kind of tackle the rest of my day. Um, And I I have them stop and, and think about, okay, think about how you feel right now. So remember, it's kind of like having them rethink what exercise means. It doesn't make you more tired. It actually mm-hmm. gives you more mm-hmm. energy and, you know, trying to kind of like reinforce yeah. that idea. So oh, I love that. That's such a good life lesson too. Anytime you, you know, accomplish something like you remember how you feel in that moment so that the next time that you have to start something hard or you face a challenge, you remember what it was like when you got over that hump and you got to the other side. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to so much of this mindset stuff that keeps coming up, you know, all the time and, and, uh, you know, trying to think about all the positives. And that's what I try to do throughout my day is I constantly like have my mind trying to search for all the positives, all the gratitude, all the things I'm grateful for, all the appreciation, because it changes your whole life. Um, But it's definitely something that you have to work at doesn't come naturally for most. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And speaking of mindset, that's a great segue to today's conversation with Chris Prefontaine of smartrealestatecoach.com. He's also a best-selling author, and he talks about his books on the show as well. And what I thought was really interesting about um, what he was talking about is the way that he teaches people to buy on terms. And at the end of the show, we we said, well, we live in the Bay Area. Obviously, your model couldn't work here. And he's like, no, no, it will still work there. And it was fascinating to me to know that these strategies that he teaches his coaching students could work pretty much anywhere. Yeah, I was I was shocked when he said that. I I thought for sure he was going to say, "Oh yeah, you don't want to invest there." <laughs> um, and so it, it's uh, you know really intriguing. One of the things that I'm really interested in in what he teaches and what he's talking about is how you're making deal making money on these deals three different ways. You're making it upfront, and you're making it monthly, and you're getting a payout on the end. And that 
is something, <laughs> if I can figure out that strategy, you know, you're set. And that's pretty much what he teaches in the course is, you know, how can we get people into the, into the program and, and have them be set for life, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He covers that and so much more in this conversation and be sure to stick around to the very end because he'll tell you how to get a free copy of his best-selling book. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Chris Prefontaine. Chris, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Annie. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, Chris, you've been investing in real estate for almost 30 years at this point, which is incredible. So I'm sure you've yeah, seen your share. for aging me. Yes. <laughs> no problem. You must have started when you were two. So <laughs> quite advanced. <laughs> Well, in that time, I'm sure you've seen a lot of ups and downs, much more so than those of us who have started investing in real estate more recently. Now, we're definitely going to dive into your thoughts on COVID-19 and everything that's going on and how that's impacting real estate and your investments. But first, start by telling us, you know, what led you to start investing in real estate in the first place, you know, when you were two, and <laughs> perhaps <laughs> some of the highlights of your real estate investing journey. Sure. So going way back to, gosh, early 90s, even late 80s, and I was young watching my dad because he wasn't in real estate, but I was in a family company where he would build his own buildings and lease them back to his company, brick and mortar company. So I saw that and saw how he did some flips there with Lane and I was just around it because he hung out with people that, that did it back then. And so I started in 91-ish uh, with some land deals and some subdivision, subdividing of lots and things like that. You know, there have been many high points. I, I, I wore the broker hat for a while, sold my company to Cole Banker in 2000. That was cool. Had some not so cool times like 08 when the recession hit. But that, in hindsight, caused us to re-engineer entirely our business to not rely on banks, not have to sign personally. That's a biggie. And so today it's why we exist and why we changed so rapidly and pivoted way back then. And I'm super glad we did. So those are just some high points. I can go back to any piece of that, but those are just what came to mind. Wow. So you really experienced a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, ups and downs and a lot of, um, a lot of events that must have shaped your investing journey. But when you set out to invest in real estate, did you have an end goal in mind? Was it like you wanted to achieve financial freedom? You wanted to build wealth? You wanted passive income? You wanted to quit your job? Or was it something that you sort of fell into? You know, at that young age, I would say that the target always moved, right? Just like just like all of us today. So back then it was, oh, it'd be really cool to build some homes. And that's what I started doing with the intent of amassing some, you know, some extra cash that you, you're not going to build wealth doing that, or at least not the model I had building single family homes. So initially I can't say I had this grand plan that I remember certainly as the years go on and we mature in business and in life and financially. Okay. Now plan starts to get put in place, but not initially, honestly, I wish I had a, a more, you know, shiny object to answer for you or shiny. <laughs> So you started building homes. What was that like? Um, okay, well, without knowing it, because super early in the, in the game then and young, we built everything on terms, meaning we didn't call it that then, we do now. But what we did is we would tie up land just by putting a sign in someone's yard, ask them for permission to do that, and say, look, I'm going to try to pre-sell a finished home here, uh, tie up with a builder, that's how I started building, and then if we pre-sold it, 
have all the subcontractors build it for us, with us, and nobody got paid till the house was done and the people got financing and moved in. Now, that would probably be tough now, but I was naive and Yogan said, let's just do this and everybody agreed to it. And the mm -hmm. market was tough then. Um, so, that, so it went a long way to keep everybody busy. That was 91 through like 94. So it worked. Mm -hmm. 91 mm -hmm. to 94. I don't know much about what, what was, so what was going on then that made them amenable to that? Yeah, it was, the market was soft still. Um, and yeah, and it was getting worse. So, and again, I didn't know. So I put the blinders on. Sometimes that's good, right? Not to pay attention to all the garbage going on. And so that allowed subs to say, you know, they're not crazy busy. So yeah, I'll do that. I'll, or the lumber suppliers say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll wait 60 days or 90 days to get my money. They all agree. I even thinking about that now, I think I don't even know if I would approach people like that now, but I was young and I said, Oh, let's try this. You know, it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So you, you built homes for a while and then how, how long did you do that? We did that till about 95 and then I bought a um, realty executives franchise. They're, they're like a Keller Williams or, you know, Remax. I had never been a broker. In fact, when you're a builder, you're kind of on opposite ends of the scale with brokers. You know, you kind of, a little conflict sometimes. So um, that was an interesting endeavor. I, we did have a plan then to your earlier question, Annie. Our plan then in 95 was let's build this and sell it within five years. And most people said to me, well, you can't, you, you, that's real, that's brokerage. You're not going to sell it. You, you know, you're just doing deals. And, and so we did sell it to Cobalt Banker in 2000, uh, right at the end of the year. Uh, that was pretty cool. And then I stayed with them a little while. I had a non-compete, but then started coaching people around the U.S. and Canada. So all over North America, right around 2000. And that was mostly high producing real estate agents at the time. And then as we started doing our own investments, people came to us to help on that. And that's how, you know, the coaching grew. That seems like such a big transition to make from go going from, I mean, it's all within the umbrella of real estate, right? But to go from building homes and doing these deals to then buying a franchise and running a brokerage, what was that like? Did you know what you were getting into going in? <laughs> no, um, but what my thought was, and it, half of this worked, um, and it worked because we sold it, but, I, but in hindsight, I wouldn't have bought it again, nothing against broker owners, but there's just not enough money in it. So my thought was, okay, if we're doing land deals where we're tying up land and then putting homes in them, wouldn't it be cool to do that and have that running through the brokerage? Mm -hmm. and that there's extra commissions and also having a team. So that work, that piece work is you could do a lot of deals, you know, picture of a type of piece of land into a house, you kind of have two deals there. Mm -hmm. That was kind of neat, two for one deals. And then the piece of it that I say, I'm not gonna say it didn't work, that's challenging is running broke, running the agents. I used to call it adult daycare. Again, nothing against agents. It was just a lot of work to, you know, keep them corralled and keep them motivated and keep the goals set high enough. And I wouldn't do that again, but it was a great experience because it was one-on-one -on -one coaching. And it let me experience that a little bit. And it was an even greater experience when we sold. Mm. <laughs> Believe me, I know my husband is a real estate agent and it's tough corralling him, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so it sounds like it was sort of a vertical integration play. You were getting these land deals, putting houses on them, and you thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if we got a piece of the sale? Was that your original thinking? Yeah, and more exposure. Like if you if you're exposed with the brokers and the and the realtors, you do. I did have my fingers on more deals, right? Mm -hmm. So that piece was fun, and um, we did look. If you have top producers in your in your office, that's good. That's fun, but you can't always get that. You got to kind of you got to groom that, and that's we had a very high standard. 
as far as nationally, not from my, my head. I was doing 100 homes a year, but my standard for the office was you had to do at least 12 deals, at least one a month. And if you, if you couldn't, you were asked to leave. That was unique because most people would take anyone they could get. So we did have high standards. And I think that's still to this day, I think people should do that. Yeah, it goes back to that 80-20 rule. Otherwise, you have all these people who are doing, you know, just a couple deals a year and you spend all this time and and uh, energy really trying to coach them and groom them. And, you know, I think it's probably just not worth it. That's the national average. Uh, back then, it was like two point something homes. I hope it changed these days. I don't know what it is, but it's probably not much in four or five. It's kind of, that's low. Yeah. So then you sell the, the brokerage and then, and then what did you start investing in real estate at that point? Yeah. Um, it wasn't like it was a windfall. I mean, at that age, it was pretty cool. It was like a quarter of a million. So I had a non-compete where I literally slid my whole team into the Cobalt Banker shell, literally geographically two or three miles away from my previous office. So I started doing deals, but doing them quite passively because I didn't need to do deals, um, short term. Uh, my kids were still young then, um, probably 10 and 11 years old at that point. So um, I started doing more of my own investments. So condominium conversions, taking six-unit buildings and changing them to condominiums, all the construction that goes with it, uh, legal work that goes with it, commercial deals, and then, like I said, coaching people around North America, not anticipating that in 2008 what was, you know, what was about to come. And so we, back then, bought buildings and bought deals either – putting your, your standard, you know, 20% down, whatever it's going to be, and get a standard loan that you have to put your signature on. That's how we did it back then. And so that's, that was the hardest lesson was learning that that's probably not a good idea by 2008. Interesting. So, so when you say not a good idea, what, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about like what happened I exactly? Yeah. So when the market crashed, Julie, unbeknownst to anyone who was running that thinking it's going to go forever like me, like, oh, we got this ATM machine here. There was like 22 or 23 properties in our inventory at that time. And they were all signed on personally. So when the market took a hit between a third and two thirds, I had one project that went down two thirds. Um, so the banks came knocking, like, where else are they going to go? If you sign personally, they come to look for you. So it took from uh, February of 08, I remember that like it was yesterday, all the way to about February of 2012. That's four years Ooh. of working out bank loans, working out short sales, working out liquidation. It was literally more than a part-time job. And my son, Nick, at the time was a broker and we shared an office. So, I mean, he got an education and a half just listening to the mayhem and stress we went through. And then by 12, I finally said, okay, if I was going to be back in real estate, because I wasn't even sure I was so spent, what would we do? And, and that's what, what we do today. And tell us, so what, what exactly, um, so your son was helping you during that time. I'm just curious, what does he do now? Yeah, my son Nick is uh, with the company now. He's my real estate coach, and we buy and sell on our own. And my son-in-law, Zach, came in at the end of 15, so it's the three of us and a great team, obviously, but family company. Okay. Wow, you do not look old enough to have kids that are married. <laughs> I, have <three> <laughs> I have two grandkids. <laughs> oh, my God. No way. You, yeah. you don't look old enough for that. Okay, cool. Well, thank awesome. You. Yeah. Exciting. Um, and so if you were to give, you know, there's, a, I'm sure a lot of people right now who are thinking now is the time to buy, right? Maybe some people might be thinking that. Um, and if they were thinking that now is the time to buy, what advice would you give to them to, you know, from the lessons that you learned in 08 to prepare them specifically as it relates to the, you know, single family home space and, um, you know, with all that's happening? Yeah, first of all, I, I can't agree more. Uh, buy. Why? Because most people are freezing. Mm hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And in 2013, my wife just said this last night, in fact, she said, why don't you bring up to your community, the students, when 13, I was buying it and said, oh, you're nuts. It's crazy. We're, you know, we're not there yet. And you just went through all that. I just kept going after it with the terms deals like we do now. And sure enough, that, that paid off well. So yes, it's a good time. And if you're going to do it, do it on terms. This is what, this is what we teach. And it's not a biased comment. It's a smart comment. The, the model was built to be recession resistant. I'll never say proof, right? But recession resistant. And then when COVID came, unbeknownst to everyone, it was tested big time. And we've, we've increased our business two or three times. And so having our students, why? Because the banks aren't, they can't do anything. By choice, they are not helping buyers and sellers right now. Mm-hmm. And if they are, the buyers raised so high that it allows you, the investor, to come in and talk to sellers and really, truly, morally, and ethically help them and buy any property you want with the right terms, meaning we buy lease purchase or owner financing. And they're open to that right now, much more than they were 90 days ago. Now, the model's great in any economy, don't get me wrong. We've been doing this now for eight years on, on terms deals, seven and a half. But it's better now. It's way better. Mm-hmm. Easier you, and better right now. When you say terms, what do you mean by that? So mainly uh, three things. And it's all sub-niches, right? But um, lease purchase, owner financing, and subject to existing financing, where we buy it, but the loan doesn't go in our name. So none of those deals I just mentioned, those types, the loan goes in. We do not ever sign personally. And so... We carry right now, let's just give you an example, 50 or 60 properties. There's not one single loan in our name and there never will be. And that's what we teach our students too. So now when I put my head on the pillow at night, unlike pre-08, there's no concern with that whatsoever with what the economy does because everything's negotiable. Everything can be pushed out on terms. And if I have, to Julie's earlier question, if I have something, a home on terms and it's 10 years, I don't care about the market doing this a few times. It doesn't really matter especially if I'm getting massive principal pay down because when we buy an owner financing, we look for properties that are free and clear. The owner has no mortgage and we mm. make monthly principal payments to them. Principal mm. only, no interest. So we're hammering down principal all the time. It's recession resistant that way too. Mm. Wow. Interesting. Wow. That, that's, that's fascinating. So the three, the three, t- tell us the three types again. There was. Yeah. Lease purchase. Lease purchase. Yeah. Owner, owner financing. financing. Okay. And then subject to existing financing, which is a little more advanced, but that's, that's the third way we buy. Okay. Okay. And these you can use on, are, are your students buying single family homes, multifamily? What are they investing in? Yeah, good question. We teach mostly singles, Annie, but um, we were doing a, a big webinar last night, like 150 people. And someone said, can I do it on buildings? Can I do it on multis? Yes, yes. You can do it on planes and cars. I mean, this is just terms. This has been done since late 1800s, literally. All we've done is take it, put it, wrap a system around it, and then most importantly in real estate, um, unfortunately people don't have this, and that is the support mechanism to stay with them and help them get deals done. That's so key. Right, because I imagine that, you know, buying a single family home, you know, the traditional way you go and you talk to a broker, you talk to a lender, and you sort of move through the process. But when you're buying or investing on terms, it's it's probably a little bit more creative, a little bit more fluid. You gotta sort of think on your feet and think outside the box. So what are some of the the strategies you teach your students to help them get into these types of deals? Um, the scripts, I think I think this is kind of where you go on the scripts and some of the the deal structuring. I call it being the master engineer, eventually knowing okay, Julie calls me as a seller and I know how to kind of what, where that fits. 
eventually mm-hmm. you get to know that it takes a, a little study, but it's not brain science. I mean, you, it's like any other niche, right? You just, once you learn it, if you have some support mechanism to help you, you'll know what I call how to pivot. You'll know how to pivot. You'll know how to put deals in certain buckets, so to speak, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if I were to get started, like, let's say that I were to get started and I wanted to, to buy something on terms. First of all, how much would I need to get started? Is there an amount that you need to get started? And then how do I know? Do I pick one of these or does it depend on the the particular property and what the owner wants out of it? Okay. Um, the second one, what's the first one again? Say that one again. How much money do you need? Money. Sorry. Um, lease purchase, we have built into our contracts $10. I mean, it's not <laughs> that that's why it's good for a new investor to start with lease purchase. Because mm. if you start talking owner financing and they're debt free, and you're starting with principal only, and you're not putting money down, who's going to pay the transfer tax? Like you can't expect everything from the seller. So we do pay the transfer tax. So if you're brand new and you have no money to invest, lease purchase. Mm-hmm. If you're, and you got to kind of, so when you're talking to a seller, you don't have options, right? Because <laughs> you don't have, you, you got to be careful. When you have a deal or two going forward, you can afford to start getting a little more creative and delve into owner financing. Why? Because all our deals, which we probably wouldn't have time for today, but all our deals, we sell on a rent to own to buyers that need time. And so mm. during COVID, even more so, right? Because banks are tough. But that creates three paydays, not one, three. So unlike like in the broker days, right? You get a check. Okay. Right. This way, we get a check up front. We get a check monthly and we get a check at the end. That's pretty cool for any business model, right? That's three paydays. And they average 75 grand a deal for us. So once you do a couple of those, you're in a good spot. You can start getting creative with your other deals for sure. Mm. Um, and then I think the second part was how do you know which one kind of? Yeah. If, if, if it's not money driven, meaning you don't have to stay with lease purchase and you're wide open like we are now, then it really does depend on the deal. Like if someone's over leveraged, you might look at a subject too because there's no room to, to do anything else. You need it long term. If they're debt free, I definitely want to own a financing for the principal pay down. I want to own that. So it just depends on the deal. Some owners prefer not to give up the deed. So at least it just makes them more comfortable. But then a year down the road, after they get to know us, credibility, warm and fuzzies with us, we might convert it to a different type. It just depends. Mm-hmm. But you know, th- these techniques, again, once you learn them, there's not 50, there's three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and how are you guys finding these homes for, for the students? Is it through like letter writing or, or. Yeah. Uh, good question, Julie. Cause that a lot of, um, like wholesalers and rehabbers, they do like tens of thousands of dollars worth of mailings. We don't teach that. We have virtual assistants or them, they can do it themselves, calling on for sale by owner, for rent by owner, and expireds. Expired listing, meaning it was with an agent for those listening that might not know and it didn't sell. Those three sources, forget COVID and what's going on, those three sources, uh, pre and post COVID are more than plentiful in most areas geographically. Now they're over the top plentiful and you can't get to them all. But in general, they're always there. It's a matter of how hot the market is, which one might be more plentiful. So just prior to COVID, people were selling on their own in most of our markets all around the country. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't spend as much time that you might go to expired listings because no matter how good the market is, there are expired listings. Mm-hmm. And, and those are great. And for rent by owners are always good uh, too. The blind goes up and down on those. So they're all good. And what is the time commitment like for someone who joins your coaching program and is looking to say, you know, get by 
40 houses in the next five years or something like that? What does the time commitment look like to accomplish something like that? This is where I'm more of a realist and because a lot of people tell you, yeah, tomorrow you can get all these deals and it's not easy. Right. Um, it's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. So mm -hmm. I tell people, uh, we work real hard, Julie, to this question on what we call TTFD, time to first deal, time to first deal. And that's because most people just want to sell your course and, okay, good luck. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. differ hugely there. We want to bridge the gap between the time they take any course, but let's say it's ours, and then doing a deal. And so the answer to that is anywhere between 72 days and 365 days we've seen our students. Now, why so diverse when we're teaching the exact same thing? But the answer to that is interesting. It goes deeper. It's, it's right here. It's mental. Totally. Mm -hmm. So we interject things like we talked about before the show, uh, the grit concept. We introduced things like Dr. Joe Vitale. He partnered on a program with us, actually, called the 31-Day Billionaire. So we work on the headspace so that they can get better and learn how to do that. And then we work on the business space. It's not just a skill set to do a deal. I can, we could teach that. It's all this other stuff that gets in the way in life. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, I feel like that's how it is with our our coaching members. Some of them get get stuck in a place. Yeah. And it's like so important that you try to figure out ways to help you move away from that. Because if you get stuck in that space, you end up being fearful and not moving and not doing anything. Um, and uh, yeah, same thing. I imagine that that mindset must play such a big part when you when I think about picking up a phone to call mm -hmm. a for sale by owner somebody I don't even know you know and talking to them about this deal and then I'm thinking like oh my gosh it might be awkward or or like what do I say what, what if they ask this what if they ask that you know I imagine this is where the scripts that you were talking about come in but can you take us through roughly like since you're teaching your students to um, call these listings, so what do they, what do they, what should they do when they yeah. call them? Um, okay, so we'll make it easier too. So you, we hire and, and suggest they do, and then I'll answer the script. Um, virtual assistants, and we have, we've had, we got a team. We train them, and they can hire them, but we train them. So if they're doing it on their own, I did too. I started my own before virtual assistant. But let's say, let's pick expired listing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's say, Annie, that you just expired from a relative, but you still have the motivation to sell it. Obviously, the key is the motivation. This is not, the mindset here is, I'm not looking to sell. I'm not looking to convince. None of that. I just want to find out when I call you, Annie, if it did sell when you are in the market, I understand it did. If it did, where were you going and how soon did you want to be there? And then I just shut mm -hmm. up. Once they tell me that, I, I see if we have a solution for them. And the only time I don't, is if they're a seller that needs whatever equity is there, if there is equity, they need it out to go buy their family a new home tomorrow. Like that has mm -hmm. to go to the next mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, we simply are not the buyer and we let them know to call us as a plan B backup, especially mm -hmm. with COVID here, because they don't mm -hmm. think they can sell and it's going to be tough. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so then, the, then it really becomes, can I solve their challenge or their, or their goal? Cause it's not always negative. Uh, when someone's free and clear, is it a negative thing? No, they just want the most money and they can probably wait. That's why those are great deals. So the script is that with an expired. When, 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 were you, when did you ideally want to be there? Where were you going? And then can you, if I get you your price, here's the magic question. Can you wait for the equity? That's, that's all I need to know. Hypothetically, if I explain it to you, are you open to learning how to do a lease purchase if I give you your top price? And mm -hmm. they'll either say, no, I need all my money out, or yeah, tell me more. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I say this, this last piece, 
to I say, Andy, okay, I'm going to sell by myself. I'm going to sell right away. I need all the money. Okay, great, Andy. But there used to be around 62 to 82% of the buyers that could not get a bank loan before COVID. Now it's higher. So what are you going to do if it doesn't sell? Like you get about 10% of the population that can even look at your house and afford it. And in the, in the jumbos, it's worse. As you guys probably know, it's 750 credit scores if the banks even will do it. And it's year plus reserves. It's strong balance sheet. It's crazy. I mean, right. you, it's tough right now to get along. Mm-hmm. So we're the only person open, so to speak, I say. Like we're the only door mm-hmm. open to help these people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's key is that um, you're not selling them something. You're not trying to take something from them, but you're really trying to help them. Mm-hmm. And you're coming in as a potential solution to this these pain points that they're experiencing. I think if you think about it that way, then it really helps people get over those those challenges that they might be facing. Well, yeah. And look, at I, when we call people, they say, oh, yeah, you're an investor. You're probably going to offer me 60 cents on a dollar or 70 because that's what wholesalers have to do. And that's mm-hmm. what rehabbers have to do. How are they going to make money if they don't? We say, no, if we give you market value, whatever we decide together is market value. If we give you market value, are you open? Mm-hmm. Not a tough question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to our conversation with Chris in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com invest. And now, back to our chat with Chris Prefontaine. So I'm curious to learn that you have a couple of books. And so I'm curious to learn a little bit more about each one of those books and, you know, give us high level what each one is about and how it came to be. Sure. So the first one was in 17. It came out it was a bestseller. That's real estate on your terms. Kind of what we're talking about here. Like, what do you, how do you run the business? How do you get your leads? What are the types of deals? And we show deal structures in there. And so we can give some links to Dan and let them get that for free. Unfortunately, we're not shipping the hardcover bestseller right now. We were for free, but we'll get you electronic for now in the audio. Okay. Um, cool. The second book was done in 19, came out last year. And that was co-authored by my son, Nick, and my son-in-law, Zach. And it's really cool because it has 
what we kind of talked about earlier, Julie, it has Dr. Joe Vitale in there for mindset. Uh, some really cool people, not just specialists in real estate, but there's 24 experts in there, mostly real estate and some mindset. And then each chapter has a comment from either Zach, myself, or Nick on what the topic was. Mm. And so they're all guests that have been on my podcast and they all did a, a chapter. So that's a totally different read and a pretty easy read. It's called The New Rules of Real Estate. Okay. And then we co-authored a book with Monika Sawyer, Real Estate for Women. And that's the bestseller on, on Amazon. I, I don't have that to give away, but you can get that on Amazon. And how did you, what, what are, so on the second book on the mindset, New Rules of Real Estate, what are like the top three? Top three new rules? Anything. Just uh, out of any, the book uh, well, I'm biased to our, our uh, terms deals, right? Uh-huh. And I love Dr. Joe Vitale's chapter because we're friends and I think he's amazing. Uh, he was in The Secret. He's got 80 books out. You know, he's just an amazing guy. So those chapters are cool. Both Nick and Zach's story in the book are very cool. Um, I tell Nick's story in my other book, but Nick grew up in real estate, obviously. And then he had a head injury from a snowboard accident. He was in a coma and wasn't expected to walk, talk, or eat. And he's in the business now and you never know. So that's yeah. cool. Zach never was in the business of real estate. So he came in just like any other student would at the end of 15 and now is part of another company and runs hundreds of deals from getting trained the way we train students. Now, granted, he was the next door over. I could help him a little bit more, mm-hmm. but he, he learned from scratch without being around it. So that's two cool stories for people to read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's- cool. Very cool. Do most people come to you with, uh, with previous experience in real estate or are they, do they come like he does with no experience? Yeah, we get both. We get, actually we get three things that come to mind when you say that we get corporate people saying, I want out, like I want to, I got, I need a career change. I need a replacement income right now. That's rampant. We get people that have dabbled in real estate or dabbled in other niches, both. And, and they're frustrated. If they've dabbled in other niches, they're frustrated mostly because they buy products or in courses or in support systems that don't help them. That really is what I get every week. Like I spent 10,000, I've spent 20,000, the numbers are staggering, but I haven't done a deal yet. That's mm-hmm. frustrating for them. And so that's good. We can help them. And then the people in the, that are big businesses right now, like in the wholesale world, they're gravitating towards terms because A, it's a one check deal. You got a job mm-hmm. in my opinion. And B, mm-hmm. terms deals right now is where to be. They all know it. They're all seeing it. They wish they did it earlier. And so they're gravitating this way. And so we see all types, to be honest with you. Mm, okay. Okay. When you're investing on terms, is this something that you see people typically, they learn how to do and then they continue doing it? Or at a certain point, do you have enough of these that you can, say, retire from your job and be financially free? That's a good one. Because that's personal preference. Like I showed on the webinar last night, I, I took a 12-month snapshot. And for us, it was like 22 or 23 deals. But I posted payday ones, twos, and threes that we've accumulated. Because now mm-hmm. those are over time, some of them, right? Like next right. three to five years. So technically, most people would look at that. It was like 1.6 million. So most people look at that and go, okay, I'll like chill out for like three years. Let that happen. And then I'll start doing deals again or whatever. So mm-hmm. there's a combination. And then along the way, doing those deals, do you run into some neat deals that are keepers, like four units, six units, two units, that you want to keep long-term? Sure. So we don't, we don't get out of all of them, but most of them we have an exit between two and 10 years. Okay. So they can do both. It's an open-ended answer because I don't, you know, everybody's different. Yeah. Makes sense. And what are you advising people to do now in the midst of COVID-19? Is it anything different than what you were advising them before? 
a little bit. So I, I'm saying two things and I'm messaging the daylights out of this on YouTube. And that is, I, I tell people double down, like do what we're teaching you to do, but do a whole bunch more right now. Because mm -hmm. my opinion is in the next six months, like say the rest of 2020, let's say it that way. If you double down and like get after these deals and learn it and be good at it, be the guide for these people that need help right now. Like they don't know that it's good to do this right now. The sellers and the buyers. So get out there and do that aggressively. You will, in my opinion, set up a decade of income because of your last question. Without mm -hmm. time, we don't know how I was going to tie this together. You will set up a decade of income right now. Um, and the second thing is, think back to what I said about 2013. Everyone was stopping and freezing. So when I say double down, like I mean, like go after it and don't freeze. Do whatever. Do the opposite of what everyone's doing right now. Mm -hmm. Because there's a survey by a very reputable company. I think it's Edelman. if you Google Edelman COVID survey or something like that, Edelman COVID survey. They always are on cutting edge, and they say that right now, more than ever, with the survey, actual results since COVID, people need a guide and they need help. They don't need to be sold. They don't. They need to be helped. And so that's mm -hmm. what we're doing right now inside the community, and hopefully that'll spread, you know, and help so many people. Mm -hmm. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about the REI for Women book, the Real Estate Investing for Women book? What was that about? How that? How did that come to be? Yeah, Monika was on my podcast. Um, she's a buy and hold strategy by and large. And after she got to know us, she actually joined our program. It happens so many times because seasoned investors love what we do. And then she said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a book to empower women. I'm going to ask a bunch of my podcast guests to do it. Would you be on it? Because it's mostly women. Would you be in it? Myself and a gentleman that does the infinite banking are in it. And I, don't, I think most of it's females after that. It's a cool book. It's like the new rules, only it's Different, different chapters, mm -hmm. mostly geared towards empowering women. And is it for single family home investing or all kinds, like flipping notes? There's a mix of that one. Okay. So like our new rules, yeah, we didn't limit it because I wanted people to be able to go, oh, like I got other niches. I'm not being biased here. Like, you know, take a mm -hmm. look at everyone's, everyone's issues. And how do you guys work with people in your coaching program? Is it like a one-time fee and then an ongoing monthly fee? And then you do you get direct support from you or do you have coaches or how does it work? Yeah, couple uh, all of the above. So they okay. can they can go through. I'm big on free, Julie. So they can go to the webinar. They can go on YouTube. Like just camp up and make sure it's what you want to do for us. And if it is, there's an online academy, and it's not like I'll take the course and then I'll go do videos. It's I'll take the course and I'll use that. It's like a living, breathing thing. We update. I'll use that as a resource center like forever. That's that's pretty cool. One time. And then uh, if they if they go to deals, great. If they want to get aggressive and lock arms with us, we do have group coaching. And then we have higher level programs that, that we actually revenue share. So let's say you were brand new and you call me. I mean, I get this all day, every day. And you say, I got this deal. I got the sellers agreeing. I don't know how to do the numbers. Or could you talk to them? Like, I don't know what to say next. That's what we do. Like, literally hands-on doing it with them. Okay. Because that's okay. that missing bridge, remember? Like, they don't know how to mm -hmm. do it when they're new. But yeah. after you do five, six, seven deals, you kind of get it. You don't need us anymore. And so we phase that out. We're not with them mm. forever. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Does it matter where you live? Because Julie and I are in the Bay Area in California, and there's not a whole lot of great deals to be had here. But certainly, you know, we, we invest in different markets around the country. Is that typically what your students do as well? Yeah, you're fine in that area. We've got students in California do very well because the prices are higher. So mm. uh, in your area, Annie, if you go back to what we talked about, are there expires for rent by owners and physicals, even though it's a different area? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So no, it doesn't matter geographically. Uh, we just had a brand new student join from Alaska. We've got people in Canada and uh, most of our base is U.S., but it doesn't matter. Because remember we said at the very beginning, 
its terms, and you can do this with literally almost anything. Never mind mm-hmm. property. So you can live in California, but then the skill sets that you guys teach, we can take that and apply it to like another market, like Dallas, for example. We're pretty heavily invested out there. We would be able to apply it in, in another market, even though we're not local. You could, because especially now, we started pivoting about a year ago with virtual, but now everybody's accepting virtual, right? But uh-huh. I will say this, though, Julie, you don't, you don't really have to because uh, all the students with few exceptions, unless they have second homes or family, have plenty of deals right in like a 50-mile radius, always, oh, especially now. Oh, yeah, plenty. Interesting. Like picture it. There's, uh, right now in the United States, there's a third of the properties that are debt-free, a third. So if you did nothing else mm. but talk to them, you're pretty busy. That's, you didn't touch for sale by owners or, or for rent by owner or expired yet. Hmm. Fascinating. We're going to yeah. have to dig further into this, Julie. <laughs> I know. I know. You're going to be getting a call from me. Yeah. <laughs> it happens all the time. Uh, we, we did a meeting out in uh, Philly, and the gentleman raised his hand at the end. He said, I've been running this club. I've been an investor for 21 years. I've done every deal you can imagine. I've never seen something this like well put together. And he became a member. He came to our last event. So it happens all the time. It's a cool niche, obviously. People start to realize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Should we transition into the investing for good impact round? All right. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing in yourself, others in the world. So the first question is around investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Um, the three paydays that we talked about, because that's lifestyle. You can literally go, you know what? I'm done for three months or whatever you choose. So absolutely designing the lifestyle. Yeah. I love, I love that. The three paydays. That's, um, it's always something that I'm thinking about is how can I do one thing like one deal and get paid, you know, several different ways from this one thing, always thinking about that making your money work as hard as possible for you. Um, all right. Second question is investing in others. So what is one investment strategy or hack that you can share with the audience that'll help them catapult their investing journey? Well, I mean, I can give you the easy answer, but we said what type of deal really, but I'd rather say it this way because it helped more people. Three things, pick a niche that you like. That's why I say, but go check it out free. I'm not so naive to think it's just our niche. Go find out what niche you're going to like. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what. Second, in that niche, this is super important, find someone that's still relevant, meaning they're doing deals today. There's a lot of people marketing, but you want someone in the trenches today. Picture if you don't, they could be not even familiar with what the heck's going on now and how to operate. Like This is so important. And If you get those two done, when you do, the third piece is put the blinders on for 36 months, in my opinion, like any other business, and do not get thrown off by the shiny object. So pick the niche, pick the coach or mentor or advisor or friend, and third, stay with it for 36 months. If you do that, you'll have a phenomenal experience. Anything short of that, you're just starting to get picky and, and you, I can't predict the result. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I feel like that's exactly, you know, how I got into doing what we do now is I kind of, you know, looked at every single thing that I could do in real estate. And I sort of asked myself where my comfort zone was with each thing and how much my, you know, I was getting ROI on everything and how much time I had to invest and sort of, you know, finally settled on, on multifamily and, and, uh, got a coach and have been working with him for the last three and a half years. And, um, you know, yeah, so it's, uh, it's a, that's a great strategy. Okay, last question is around investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? You know, I can answer this pre and post COVID, but again, it's, it's the same thing. The answer is when you start helping uh, sellers that thought they were stuck and buyers that thought they would never own a home, you actually are, are making a generational decision. Like yeah. families, 
or generationally be affected. That's, that's not like one deal. That's really important. So they go, yes, you can do it this way. And it goes through the generations. That's really cool. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's such a mindset shift or paradigm shift, really, um, to think about how you can, it's a win-win because you as an investor win and the families that you're helping also win. Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like with real estate in general, and this is what, one of the things I love so much about real estate, no matter what, you know, what niche you're working in within real estate, it's always creating these win-win situations for everyone involved. And um, that's the thing that I, I love so much about real estate. And if you don't, because, you know, you can go a different direction. People do it in every industry and they mess up, right? But if you do what you said, Julie, it'll never stop. How can it, if it's a win-win-win, how can it stop? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, well, before we go, um, why don't you give our listeners a little more detail about the, um, the free gift, the free book that you've got for them? Sure. So they can just go to free, S-R-E-C, uh, free, S-R-E-C, book, excuse me, dot com. SREC for a smart real estate coach, free SRECbook.com. Uh, if they can deal with listening to me for another hour, they can get the free webinar right on the website, smartrealestatecoach.com. Perfect. Anywhere else you want to direct people to learn more? Uh, they can listen to the podcast if they're podcast junkies like all of us, um, smartrealestatecoachpodcast.com. Okay, great. Well, we'll have all of those resources in the show notes. Chris Prefontaine, founder of smartrealestatecoach.com. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Chris. Thank you. Appreciate being on. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast. And be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.